this series is called the Bread of Life series. It's just a small series. It's just a little four-piece series that's going to lead us into Easter and out of Easter. I thought the very imagery itself, which is also on the cover there, and we got a chance to see with the bumper that led into this, the very imagery itself, the bread of life, a term that Jesus used, uh, this idea of bread, the bread broken. Jesus said, the bread is like my body broken for you. I mean, the, the idea around this is that we are going to be focusing on the cross and the brokenness of Christ and what it means for us provisionally. And interestingly enough, the, the series itself has four pieces to it. And, each one, and, we're, and today, we're looking at one of those pieces. So just from the standpoint of metaphor and, and from the standpoint of utilizing art as a key to sort of moving into where we're heading, we can see that we're going to be looking at uh, the book of John, the sixth chapter in particular, and we're going to look at a certain portion of verses in the next you know, four to five weeks. The, the sixth chapter of John is one of the most amazing uh, and remarkable uh, chapters in all the Gospels. It, it's one of the longer ones. It is 71 verses in that chapter. We're going to look at pretty much the last two-thirds of it that have to do with Jesus' teaching. Um, it's pretty revolutionary teaching that he gives. It's very polarizing in many ways. It compels us as we move into it to think about what he's trying to get at. One of the, th the things that is going to be most helpful is to look at what Jesus is going to tell us and talk about and what the conversation is going to be going on between him and the people who he's talking to. And it's often called the John 6 discourse, but really it's a conversation and an interaction. And a lot of that interaction is connected to the things that we were looking at on the last week of our our Moses series and the New Beginning series. Because if you recall, we left off in Exodus 16. And in Exodus 16, there's this miracle that God gives, this miracle of provision that has to do with, with food and bread in particular. And God supernaturally provides for his people in the wilderness bread from heaven. They called it manna. It means what is it? All right, and we read about this in, and we can just, we'll just kind of do this as a quick point of review. Look at Exodus 16, verses 14 and 15. It's in the handout. It says, And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. And so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? That's why they called it manna. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given for you to eat. And they ended up living off of manna for a number of years. Uh, that manna that came from heaven, that bread from heaven, that seed, honey-like seed that they were able to utilize to make all kinds of different things. Um, they were given this provision, the Bible says, one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. They, for, for six days of the, of the week, uh, on the sixth day, twice as much fell. And that, uh, that, that was a provision that lasted for 40 years until they moved into the promised land. And so, listen, the reason that's significant is because there's a linkage between these, this moment in the Old Testament with what Jesus is going to say to the people who were very familiar with their history. And this, this illuminates the passage. The, just like, see, one of the real, a lot of us are reading through the scriptures. And uh, one of the things we started at the beginning of the year was to encourage everybody to consider trying to read through the Bible in a year. And we had this Bible, pro, you know, Bible reading program that anyone can get at the, at the counter, but we just encourage everyone to do their best to kind of read through the scriptures for the first time, maybe for some of us. And one of the things that we'll notice is there's this, this amazing connection, how much the New Testament, the newer Testament, Christ, the teachings of the church, 
are uh, impacted, paralleled, born out of, connected to the teachings of the Older Testament. In other words, to understand the Older Testament is to have a huge advantage or to have a great asset when it comes to trying to appreciate so much of what Jesus and the early church and the apostles talked about. They're connected. They, they're, they're tied together. This is going to be a, an example of that. So I'm saying all of this to say, watch for the connected metaphors. Watch for the, the, the commonality of what takes place. Watch how Jesus and the people have a discussion about what, what occurred way back in the book of Exodus. See it as it emerges from the text itself. So keeping that in mind, let's go to John 6. And again, this is the first of the four pieces that make up uh, our series, and it's focusing on the cross, which ultimately leads us to the resurrection. And it says, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, that is, they found Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they said to him, Rabbi, wh when did you come here? Now, it's important for us, again, to note that Jesus had just completed a miracle. The miracle that Jesus is recorded as doing was the miraculous feeding of the multitudes, the 5,000. Some of us may recall, in that miracle, Jesus was said to have multiplied the bread and the fish and he fed the multitude with it. There's this idea of the, and he broke the bread. This idea of the bread is so apparent. He fed them. It was an amazing thing. It serves as the backdrop. In other words, bread is all over this. There's the bread that occurred, the feeding from the bread from heaven in the book of Exodus. There's the miracle that was done leading into this conversation. And then there's going to be Jesus' statements about who he was as the bread of life, the bread of heaven. So all through, and then, of course, later on, Jesus will say on the, on the verge of the cross, he will say, um, uh, take this bread and eat it. And when you do this, do this in remembrance of me, for this is my body broken for you, right? I give myself to you. I give myself to this world, broken so that we may live, the cross, the broken bread. So that is going to be a big part of this. So let's look at this. It says that they, they asked him this question, when did you get here? And Jesus said to them, because they were all looking for him. Jesus was, they were frantically trying to find Jesus. Jesus had intentionally uh, disconnected himself from the multitudes who were trying to make him king. There was this euphoria, this sense of, wow, can you believe this thing? Um, you know, he had provided food for them. And you got to understand another backdrop point. In Jesus's day, in Rome in particular, in the Greco-Roman world, the leaders oftentimes would make bargains with the populace. They would agree. There was, there was kind of a transactional understanding that they would provide food, they would provide benefits, but a lot of times food. Food played a very big role in, in the ancient world. And for a leader to provide food, you could, you could acquire support of the people. It was, it was a kind of version of buying votes. And so it, it, had, it had an element of you take care of us, we'll take care of you. We'll support you. You take care of us. There was this, and, and so they had wanted to make Jesus king when he did the miracle, and they were coming to look. We'll follow you. Just take you take care of us. You did yesterday. You, you did this amazing thing. You gave us food to eat. We'll follow you. This is the backdrop of what takes place, and you're going to have to focus in because it can almost be a little confusing about the interaction that's taking place and what Jesus is trying to get at. But look with me here at verse 26. Jesus answered, and he said to them, he said to them, most truly I say to you that uh, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, that verse right there is immediately confusing because wasn't the signs the miracle? I mean, that what, he did the miracle 
uh, you read it, you go, well, you're, we're not, you're not following me because of the signs, but because you ate of the bread and the loaves. Well, wasn't that the sign? I mean, what's the difference here? What's Jesus getting at? What's the nuance he's trying to communicate and convey? What is he trying to say? Well, he's saying this. The miracle that has caused your interest to peak in regards to me, which was something that met a temporal need for you, you have missed the purpose. I'm not trying to acquire your support. This is not about me providing food indefinitely for you. This is not about that. This was actually, that feeding, that miracle, was not designed to meet that need. It was designed to be a, he uses the word sign. What does a sign do? It tells us where something is. It's, it was designed to point you somewhere, to show you a way, to get you to a destination. This was meant not to feed you, fill you, not to get support from you. It was meant to lead you somewhere so that you could understand who I am. Now watch what happens. He says to them, listen, don't, don't labor, key word there, don't labor for the food which perishes. Don't be consumed with, with working for the, for the bread that cannot last. Don't be only a person fixated on temporal needs. But think about the food which endures to everlasting life. Look what he says in verse 27. Which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus would always, he called himself the Son of Man as the representative human being. He says he will give you, and it was also connected to the idea of messiahship, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Now, that's an interesting statement. What does that mean, set his seal on him? It's a lot like when we would um, uh, sign a letter or sign a legal document and it's authorized. Uh, there is this sense that see a seal, whether it usually was with clay or with wax, a person would have a signet ring and they would seal it. And that seal was a way of authenticating it. It would verify the veracity of the document. Jesus says, I have been sealed with the Father's blessing. There, there is something dip, there is the, the imprint of the Father is upon me. It's on him. They, they, Jesus makes this marvelous statement about who he is. They, they miss it. They, they fixate on the first part of, his, his, of the verse, the first part of his statement, which had to do with do not labor, look, for the bread that perishes. They're, they're, they, they, you can see by their response that follows, the sealing stuff, whatever that means, is lost to them. What they focus on is this idea of labor, of doing, work, work. Jesus says, work for the bread that is everlasting. So look what they say. They say, well, then they said to him, well, well, what shall we do then that we may work the works of God? Okay, well, well okay, you want us to labor for the bread that is eternal. Well, what, what are we supposed to do? What do you want us to do? What should we do to, do to get this result? Jesus says you should, <laughs> this is the work of God, that you believe. This is what I want you to do. I want you to believe. I want you to believe in him who sent, whom he sent. You think about that. Tell us what to do. Believe. Tell us, believe. Believe in what? Believe in me. That's what happens. Therefore, they said to him, whoa, 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 whoa. What sign will you perform then? We want to believe in you, but you're going to have to show us more stuff. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to give us more than just that one miracle that's going to convince us that you are this special one of God, sealed by God, the, the promised one. No, 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 no. We want to follow you. We want to make you our king. You provide for us, absolutely. But if you're taking it to this level, well, you're going to have to show us a lot more stuff than what you showed us. Because you know what? Even though it was pretty impressive... It's not nearly as impressive as what our ancestors experienced many years ago when they were in the wilderness 
And they didn't just get fed for one day. They got fed for a lot of days. And, and if you're saying you're greater than Moses, then outdo Moses. We're ready, and we'll believe. Show us what you've got. We'll believe. Okay. Look what Jesus says. And in fact, they say in verse 31, they said, look, our fathers ate manna in the desert. Remember that bread sent from heaven? He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Basically, so what are you going to do to outdo that? And Jesus said to them, I truly, I say to you, look, I say to you, Moses did not give the bread from heaven, not the bread I'm talking about. But my father gives you the true bread, the true bread from heaven. Look at it and see it. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life, gives life to this world. Now, in that last verse, gives life to this world is the cross. Because the vehicle in which Jesus would give life, God would give life, would be through the brokenness of the life of the promised one. That in the breaking of the bread, in the life of God, sacrifice for us is so much of the Old Testament anticipates. There's so many sacrifices. The sacrificial system was continually pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of God, which is why when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, there he is, the son of God. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the ultimate sacrifice sent from God, authenticated with the seal of God upon him. Jesus says, look, the bread I'm talking about, look, it's almost like he's saying, you're, you're focusing on a meal, but the greatest, you're, and you're, it's a good thing, it was a, it was a special thing that I did, but that's nothing. It's not even worth a nod compared to the greater thing that God is doing right in front of your eyes. Can you see it? I am the bread of life, the bread of heaven. Come down. This was he was getting at. He was trying to break through, but they're so bound into a, a way of seeing that they can't see the marvelous thing that God was doing right in front of their eyes. And Jesus is saying, you're focused on getting your temporal needs met, but you're missing the great marvel. The greatest miracle of all is before your eyes. You cannot see it. And, and it's everything to do about him giving his life for us. Now, keeping that in mind, Let's, let's kind of take some things from what we've just shared and let's try to prepare our heart for where we're heading in these next couple of weeks. Let's try to prepare our heart for Easter. Let's try to prepare our heart for the celebration of the cross and the life that's been given for us that we might live. So as, much as, I, as many things as we have practically going on in our lives right now, we do have a lot of things. We could talk a lot about relationships and attitudes and things that we've been sitting with for a long time now, for the last month or so. I would like to have us turn our eyes towards the cross. I would like to have us turn our eyes towards Jesus. I would like to have our, us begin to prepare ourselves to honor this amazing thing that God has done that has changed the human equation and changes everything about our lives and even death itself. So keeping that in mind, let's just put something on the board here. Let's say that one of the things that Jesus is teaching us to consider and reflect upon, it's so apparent in the passage that we looked at there, Again, this first piece of the, the cross series that we're sitting with, the bread of heaven. One of the things that he's talking about is he's addressing our tendency to think exclusively, primarily on a material plane. And that's such a human thing to do because so much of our life is lived here in, in, this, in the natural world of ours. It's, it's, it's so easy to do. I mean, one of the clear indictments that Jesus makes to the clamoring crowd was that they were so con consumed with having their material needs met, that they were oblivious to the larger, more marvelous thing that God was doing right in front of them. And now, it's obvious 
we all live in a material world. That's an obvious thing. And what I mean by that is uh, we all have real, tangible needs. Not a one of us here doesn't have a need, certain needs. We, we, we live most, most of our life is spent working and addressing those needs. And we work so that we can live to be able to buy things and to be able to have a life. And one of the reasons why this, the, we all are affected by an economy when it turns sour or is, is having trouble is because it affects the way in which we live. Because we're living in a real world where we have real needs and, and those needs are connected to our ability to work and get income and resource and we, we purchase things and some of us have, have, we have bills to pay and we know how do we, how do we get what we need to get by with. And, and that's real life. That's everyday life. That's understandable life. And, and I think that it's something that Jesus never said it was wrong for us to think about things like, like you know, saving and spending and investing and, and just how we steward our resources and manage them. He used a lot of examples. But, you know, one of the things that's pretty, and I was thinking about it, I was thinking about this idea of investing because of what Jesus talked about a lot. Remember, he's telling the people, just be careful now. Don't get consumed with only a material perception of life. And it was interesting because I was a couple of days, well, actually it was, it was yesterday morning. It was yesterday morning. I was, uh, was in the midday. I was um, with my daughter earlier in the day, my youngest daughter. We were at a soccer game. And it was, a, it was actually a little bit away, from about 40 minutes away in Concord. And the reason I'm telling you that is because uh, I was um, just frantically searching in the small amount of time that I had between uh, when I dropped her off and when the game started for some place where I could get some coffee. And uh, I looked for the, the ubiquitous place that everybody loves to hate, but nonetheless can be counted upon. Uh, always, <laughs> anywhere, <laughs> and so I, I set, set off on my search and went into where I thought, if I just get to where there is some type of population, that will be one of these places, uh, and I was not disappointed, and as I was walking, as I was walking along the way, um, an even greater, uh, 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 something that has an even greater pull on me than the morning cup of coffee was um, uh, standing right in front of my eyes as I was walking down the sidewalk, and it was a bookstore. I love bookstores, but they particularly have a way of drawing people like me in because they put these stations outside filled with books in them to draw people like me to look at them and to begin to look at what's in the clearance rack as I'm walking by. <laughs> and so I was looking at it, and I've been thinking about it, and, and I, it just happened to know, you know, I took a glass, oh, yeah. then I noticed one book. And, you know, these are, these are like, books that they're trying to get rid of. And, um, but it caught my attention because I've been thinking about this idea of investing in, in, in life and what, the, and the fact, they got me, right? I mean, they got me good. They, uh, the, uh, the book was called, now it's not gonna apply to everybody, but it's called You're 50, Now What? All right? <laughs> Okay, I said, but that wasn't the part that got me, honest. You know, uh, it was good. It was, it was, it was, it had a picture on it. No, probably no, no, not too many people maybe know what this, who this man is, but if his name is Charles Schwab, everybody recognizes the name. And it had the back of the Golden Gate Bridge, and I mean, yeah, all that stuff. But then it was the, it was the uh, secondary title that got me, because I've been thinking of, he said this, now that you're 50, now what? Investing for the second half of your life. And I thought, wow, investment for the second half of life. 
And then it went on to talk about this. We have a point in our lives when we find ourselves wondering about the second half. The age differs from person to person. For some, it comes in their late 40s. For others, in their early 50s. When we reach that age, we feel different. We may sense a change coming. We want to pause and to think about what we've accomplished, what we still hope to do. Um, so what does that have to do with investing? And I thought, you know what? It has everything to do with investing. And there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, obviously, I, there's some benefit in it. Thinking about, what about my resources? How am I going to save? What about retirement? All that stuff. You know what? What does it have to do with investing? Well, Jesus said, be very careful how you think about investing. I mean, he really hits us square. He used a story because there was this moment. Because that's what he was trying to tell the people, right? Be careful about having only an earthbound perspective that's just about getting your needs met. And you're going to miss what God is doing. And there was this moment in Luke 12 where Jesus says he was teaching, and there's this brother that comes up to him. And he must have heard Jesus teaching, and he must have thought, wow, you know, Jesus maybe has something to say about my situation. And it had to do with money, because there, he was having a disagreement, a family disagreement over money. He and his brother seemed to have been arguing. This, and the older brother, it appears, was withholding the inheritance from his younger brother. That's the appearance of what takes place. And this brother says to Jesus, he interrupts him and he says, listen, would you consider talking to my brother about giving me my inheritance? You seem fair. He'll listen to you. And you know what Jesus says? It's like Jesus, you can't get caught off guard by the response of Jesus because you know what he says? He says, he says who made man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he turns into, and it appears that he says this. He says, listen, beware, take heed, take heed of covetousness, of, 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 of greed that is consuming a person. Take heed of covetousness. And then he says this, because a, man, a person's life does not consist, listen, in the abundance of the things that they possess. And then he says, let me, and then he didn't just say that. He says, let me tell you a story. He says, there was this man. And, you know, I, was, I went back and I started just digging more deeply into it, Jesus says, I'm just going to, he says, there was this ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. He, all of a sudden, he, his business takes off, Jesus says, and he thought to himself saying, what shall I do since I have, I have no more room to store my crops? And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and I'll, I'll build even greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to, and I love this phrase, he says, and I will say to my soul, 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 you have, you have many goods. You did it right, <laughs> right? You have many goods stored for many years. So now take your ease. Eat and, and what drink and be merry. Live the good life. You know what Jesus said? But God said to him, thou fool, tonight thy soul is required of thee. And whose will these things be that you have provided for? What good will it do you? Jesus is making a point. So is he who lays up treasure only for himself or herself, right? But it's not rich towards God. That does not take into consideration the more deeper implications of life in the Lord's eyes. Think about that. What does rich towards God mean? What was Jesus getting at? He was saying, be very careful about being consumed with things. Listen, we can be consumed with, with things that we possess and expansion, and we can be consumed with what we don't have and want. And Jesus was consistently reminding people, don't simply live on a material basis. Don't let that define your well-being. At the end of the day, we take nothing with us. 
What does it mean to live rich towards God? What does it mean to love the Lord? What does it mean to be a person whose soul is free? To have things, yes, it's not, he never, Jesus never had, a, he didn't say you couldn't have things. He just said, be a blesser, be a blesser. And a lot of, and that leads me to the second point. He reminded us a lot. Not only did he say, be careful about living, lay not up for yourselves, in that same place, lay not up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and rust doth corrupts, he who is saying, thieves can break in and steal, but lay it for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt, thieves cannot break through and steal. Laying up treasure in heaven has to do with living life at a, on a spiritual plane. It has to do with living life sensitive to God. It has to be to do with being a generous person. It has to do with being a good steward, a vehicle of blessing. It has to do with living a life that, it, for its most part, sees itself not as one who's simply trying to accumulate, but also is thinking about what it means to bless. It, yes, it involves management. We get that. But Jesus was continually reminding us to be careful about that fear uh, that can easily creep into our lives, about letting ourselves be defined by what we do or do not possess. And he continued to remind us all that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That at our core, we are not simply a cosmic accident that we've been placed here on this earth. Yes, we are broken. There's no question about it. We are deeply uh, flawed, um, filled with contradictions, certainly. No question about that. But we've also been made to soar. Uh, capable of love and laughter and just amazing artistry, all of us at some level. Unique beings with the imprint of God on us. It may be a faded imprint, that old Imago Dei, the image of God, but it's an imprint nonetheless. Even in our brokenness, something of God's reality shows up in our lives. And the Lord really had a way of saying, he's saying, Jesus said, you know what? I have come for you to find your life in me and not to be defined by what you have or you don't have, but to be defined by who I am for you and who you find yourself to be in me. And there's this great invitation. It's like he's almost saying, look, don't ever forget that at the core, and this will be our third piece here. We'll just put this up because of time frames. At, at its core, the Christian life is about relationship. And so much of where we're heading in the weeks ahead has to do with the fact that he was broken so that he might, we might know him. And at the end of the day, listen, we lay aside everything. Uh, everything that we have will be, be left behind. We know that, but it's amazing how oftentimes we get consumed with things and we miss. How many times our peace is disrupted? How many times, like that brother who came to Jesus and said, you've got to, you've got to help me solve this problem with my brother. And Jesus says, you know what? You're getting gripped by a spirit of covetousness. Don't do that. Don't let that dominate your life. He, he reminds us that he wants us to live not, yeah, I say, when I say relationship, I'm not even, it doesn't mean rules don't matter. God, God has ways for us to live. He's got his words are clear. There are things that are right and things that are wrong in his eyes. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, this is about a relationship with God. The, the bread has been given and broken that we might know God at a personal level and have a, a, an abiding relationship with him that sustains us, listen, all the days of our life and beyond, that we were meant to know him, not just in his death, but in his resurrection. And it is a great promise. Listen, it's not just something that we say, I believe in. It's something that is designed to affect the way we live life and how we overcome things and how we choose to negotiate relationships and how we begin to construct our life 
It affects how we define true success. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right in his eyes and all these other things will be added to you. They will align themselves up properly if you do this one thing first. Love the Lord your God, he said. They said, what should we do? He says, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, your brother, your sister. Love people. It's a relationship. Love God. Love people. At the end of the day, the greatest wealth we have is there. Buildings left behind. Inheritance squandered. People spend things, fight over things, bicker over things, uh, divide over things. But Jesus says, love me. Love people well, especially the key people God's placed in our lives to love well. Focus on that. Grow. Become. Follow me. And you know what? He's, they said, show us what we should do. He says, you, what you should do, you believe. Start there. We get to decide. Because see, faith is what? Faith is both a, a gift and a choice. It's not either or. It's both. It's something that's given to us. It's something we get to choose to do. So we get to decide, are we going to believe? This is a good time to think about that. Once we say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. We believe. We say, am I going to follow? Because Jesus says there's a difference between believing and saying, I will follow you. And then once we say, I will follow you, I will. I will seek to live a life pleasing in your eyes, and I will seek to follow in your steps. Then Jesus says, how much will you follow me? And, and that's going to affect how we view things. It's going to affect a, every detail of our life. It's not a disconnected thing. As we enter into the Easter season, let us remember, this is not about the secular and the sacred. This is about the intersection of heaven on earth. It's about God affecting us as we live our daily lives on this side of eternity, as we dream our dreams, live our lives, build our kingdoms. May they be informed by the reality of who Jesus is. May he, at the end of the day, captivate our heart more than anything. More than, at the end of the day, when we leave, we can only bring him. The bread broken for us who has come near that we might be, be who he has made us to be in him. So, Lord, as we are here before you, as we, as we think about where we're heading in the days ahead, in the, in, in the weeks ahead, um, as we think about what it means to acknowledge in a, in a particular fashion the, the cross and the meaning of the bread from heaven broken for us. Lord, there's not an, a time that I've, I've, I think I've, I've done communion in these last decades that I haven't, whenever thought about that broken bread, thought about how you were broken for our wholeness, that you were broken, that we might be made whole. And all of us have areas, Lord, that, that are broken. And we're so quick to, to fade away from the things that we've committed ourselves to. But I just pray that as we move into these weeks, that there would be something of, of your pleasure that would fall upon us, that you would captivate our hearts, that you would remind us of who you are and what the special treasure you, you were meant to be to us, for us, in us. That we would allow that light to shine and affect us, change us, that the germ of your reality would, in, and I mean that in the best sense of the word, the, it would, that, that catalytic aspect of who you are would affect us and challenge us, challenge us in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, in the deeds that we do, Lord, to, to listen to your words and to live in them. Because you said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. Remind us, Lord, it is more than just the temporal. Remind us to see things that go beyond what can be seen, to live both here 
and now with an eye towards what is yet to be. Both and, not either or. We ask this in Jesus' name. Bless us as we close this service, Lord. Bless our time of giving as our church seeks to honor you in this way as well. And in this closing song, we pray in your name, Lord. Amen. God.